to the Archive Room podcast. First of I, I'm Judith Lay, and I'm very pleased to find you waiting for me at the door to the Archive Room, the place where we keep stories of island life in years gone by, told by the people who were there. So come on in, sit down and make yourself comfortable, and let's listen to this week's selection. We began this series in September with some great stories of harvesting, mill days and autumn life on island farms. And now, as we've arrived at the last programme in the present series, I thought we'd explore the origins of a centuries-old tradition that has died out now in all but name, but was once of huge importance in the farming year. It's Hollandtide Day. November the 12th, and this familiar music tells us that it's going to be John Kenyuk who tells this story. Hello and welcome to this week's farming programme. Uh, this is a significant time of the year in the agricultural calendar, Hollandtide Day, the date when tenancies changed on Manx farms, before which there would have been a number of farm sales. But to retrace how Hollandtide Day has been celebrated in years gone by, when it really was very important, we talked to Harvey Briggs, who remembers a lot of things that happened round about Hollandtide. Here's Harvey. Well, I think it was a time of high adventure for a lot of people because uh, they felt that it was the start of something new in their lives. On the other hand, it was probably a time of, of sadness for many too because it was a relic of the old feudal system in farming. We had the landlord, the tenant and the worker. Everybody knew their place. It was a sort of a trinity and people in one of those categories rarely moved up sometimes moved down but rarely moved up. I don't think it was a very good system really. It went on of course for, for many years in as much as that uh, I suppose uh, in our lifetime, certainly in my lifetime, 85% of the men who farmed the land were tenants and they depended on the uh, landlord to give them the farm, to let them have the farm and uh, until we had tenant security in the Isle of Man in 1968 and 69, or oh, 30 or 40 years behind Britain, until we had that, there's no doubt about it that there was this system of hierarchy all the way through. The landlord seemed to uh, inflict his power on the tenant, and the tenant inflicted his power on the workers. And why why was November the twelfth so significant then? That was was that just a convenient time of the year for the farming year to end? And that's the exact question that David Collister put to Dr. Fenella Basin when they discussed Holland Tide. Well, it was really the first day of the Celtic New Year, and it all dated back to where the calendar changed. So instead of being the first of November, it became the twelfth of November, and the eleventh was the eve, of course. But um, November, by the way, the Manx name for it means the first month of the winter. Oh, and, of course, it's also the first month of the year. And it was the day when they killed the beef and the meat for the winter so they could stock it away because they wouldn't want to feed the animals during the winter because of the fodder. Mm. And it was also the day for letting land and for taking over farms, which, of course, is a tradition we still have today. A lot of contracts change hands on the 12th of November. Yes. And it was the hiring fairs as well, again, because it was the start of the new year. And the farm workers, the men and the women, would go to the hiring fairs and would try and get themselves jobs for the year. They were very often just employed on the 12-month basis. And Mona Douglas went to pick up um, information at one of these fairs when she was quite a girl, I gather, when she'd be in her 20s or 30s maybe. 
And she nearly got hired. And it was a story she loved telling. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go back now to Harvey Briggs in conversation with John Kenyuk and see what else Harvey adds about the timing of Hollandtide. Mostly by then the potatoes were up, the crops, that was the last crop to come out of the ground. Everything was out of the ground except the green crop, the turnips. And if a man took a tenancy of a farm on November the 12th, he was generally allowed till I think it was February the 12th to get them off. But apart from that, the land was fairly bare. The livestock, the cattle and horses were all indoors for the winter time. They generally went in at the end of October, beginning of November, so it was a convenient time for that. It was a slack time on the, on the farm and a time when uh, farmers could move from one farm to another if they had to and when uh, the men too could, could move from one farm to another too. Now you said a bit about the system of tenancy, so was there great movement then from farm to farm at, at Hollandtide? Oh yes, don't forget that in those days we'd have 1,200 individual farmers and of course uh, it was the time mainly as not only for farmers changing farms but uh, for the men and the maids, don't forget there were lots of maids living in the farmhouses. This house goes back 450 years and I'm determined as long as I live to keep it as it's been for many generations of farmers. I mean we've had generations and generations of farmers here and and the point you're making, Harvey, that there would have been men servants and maid servants here at Balkanmerton. Oh yes, the men could come into to the room outside here without coming through the house. You can still see out the yard here if we go out. We can I can still show you the where the old steps went up to the men's room, and uh, there was no access from that room into the house. A man, if he was that way inclined, went to the pub, he could come home without disturbing anybody. Or The men we had didn't seem to be that way inclined, and they often came in for supper before they went up there. But uh, about 10 o'clock, the back door was locked, so if they came after 10 o'clock, well, they'd had their supper. How would they come to be in a particular job then on a particular farm? How, how were they engaged? Well, it wasn't a system that I liked very much because... Um, I know my uncle was a tenant farmer all this time and it was only in the last year of his life that he was able to buy this farm. He was inclined to, I suppose, everybody did it, inclined to inflict on the the workers the same sort of discipline that the landlord put onto him. And I remember that, uh, of course, the first uh, hiring fair of the year was Michaelmas, the second Wednesday in October held from time immemorial, I think, at Michael. Often farm men would go there and hire, and then they would be fixed up. Uh, they knew where they were at the second Wednesday in October. They knew that, that they had a job when November the 12th came. But uh, not every man, certainly only about half them, would, would hire at Michaelmas. And my uncle, uh, his men, and particularly the man who was with us for many years, the late Albert Sale, a great friend of the family in later years, he was with us 12 years. But uh, my uncle, Uncle Jim Coburn, he never, never ever said to him before Hollandtide morning, that's November the 12th, he never said to him, are you staying on? He'd leave it, and Albert would never go to look for another job because he was quite happy, but he never knew when he got up on November the 12th where he was going to sleep that night. And he wasn't the only one. There were many like it. That was the old system amongst farmers, and consequently um, it wasn't a very good system, and and even then the wages they got were, were pretty 
poor, really. But uh, on the other hand, the single men had a home. They had somewhere to sleep and uh, they had good food. Most farms provided good food. You talk about the pay. I've got a record here of one man we had on November the 12th, 1939. I recorded in my diary that Billy Kelly of Cloven Stones Cottage Bulldrine he was hired at 16 shillings per week, that's 80 pence per week, with full board and insurance. And he was quite happy. But you see, he, he was a, more or less a, an orphan in as much that his mother had married again. He wasn't right. wanted at home. He had to have a home. So as a single man, farming suited him. We weren't uh, by any means his only employers because he travelled around several farms. In fact, the poor fellow, he was stone deaf and uh, he was killed on the road uh, mm. at Lonan some years ago. But uh, he was uh, one of the typical farm workers who uh, uh, went from farm to farm. I think he stayed with us two years and then he decided he was moving on and that sort of thing. Well, I, I remember Billy Kelly because I remember when I was working in Bolomenic That's with right. Kelly's um, and we'd always meet him on mill days. Billy yeah. Kelly would all, often yes. be a man set to feed the mill and, and I'd be maybe cutting on the board and, mm. and, and Billy would be feeding. Yes, I did know Billy yes. Kelly. Connor. He was known Connor. as Connor. That's yeah. right. You know, he told me once how he got the name Connor. When he was a boy, he was always pretending to be a steam engine, and he was going chuk 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 chuk. And when a, a steam engine goes downhill, it goes kana 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 because it's getting held back on the piston. So, and then they called him Connor. <laughs> but the countryside was full of characters in those days, wasn't yes. it? I mean, and yeah. it was probably that system that you've just described probably bred these sort of characters, didn't it? Uh, yes. Men who mm. went about the countryside from farm to farm like, like that. There was a, mm. a lot of them about. But yeah. it's interesting that you mention men being asked to stay on on Hollandtide morning. I must have been right on the tail end of this system because I can well remember working with Tom Kissick in Bollacross and he would always say to me on Hollandtide morning, I take it you're staying on for another year. Yes. Uh, and that, that was still the, the, was the tail end yeah. of, of mm. that system. You you weren't a hired man, were you? Yes. You weren't a hired man? Yes. Oh, well, you know what. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes I was. Mm. And yes, that was uh, quite, quite an experience, that, looking mm. back on it now. Yes farmers moved on and new farmers came in. It was a great shifting time, wasn't it? Oh yes, yes. We moved here in 1938, Hollandside 1938, from Ballabeg, from the farm which is now the site of the abattoir and the creamery, and we moved to Ballacolmartin here that year, and uh, the thing I always remember about it was that we drove all the cattle, sheep and unbroken colts along Johnny Watson's Lane, along the Balnard Road, the Parkfield Corner, no traffic lights then, of course, <laughs> but straight out uh, over Glen Crutchery Road, through Onken, and up here. No problem at all. There were four lads, all on bicycles. I was in charge of them. I was just like John Wayne, moving a herd of cattle, and uh, I was at beha coming behind on the bike, shouting out orders. And we had one lad going on ahead, and his job was to shut garden gates. Every house had a garden with a, a wall round it or a fence and a garden gate. None of the open plan estates, so it was no problem. And then we had other, with two others riding on the riding herd on the side on bicycles. We had no problem bringing them through. You mentioned Hollandtide Fair. Where was the Hollandtide Fair held, Harvey? Do, do you remember the Hollandtide Fair being held? Yes, I remember it. It went on for a good many years after the war. I think it was during the 1950s. It probably stopped. It was held latterly 
in a yard at the Adelphi Hotel. The Adelphi Hotel was down by the old police station just below Athel Street, and it was held there on November the 12th. I don't know much about the Michael one because that was outside my territory, but the men used to go into the hiring fair, and uh, on November the 12th, hopefully by midday, they would have, uh, they would have got fixed up but one of the most pathetic sights I ever saw. I was going down the hill, in the Whitebridge Hill here, from here, walking into Onken on the evening of Holmtide Fair Day, November the 12th, and I met uh, an old farm worker I knew coming up the hill, and uh, he had all his worldly goods in a brown paper parcel, because in those days he hadn't a case or anything like that, but he had, he had his best suit on, generally a blue serge suit we wore in those days, blue serge suit, and he was carrying with him his hobnail boots, pair of working trousers, overalls maybe, and a clean shirt or two, and uh, maybe a change of underclothes, and he had all, the, all those, and he was coming up the hill, and he said to me, I haven't got fixed up, he said, I'm not fixed up, and he said, do you think, do you think your boss would let me sleep on the loft tonight, I've got nowhere to go? because he was one of these men who was dependent on having a, a, a regular job and a, and a farm to go in. Well, he was getting to the evening of his life. I suppose in his 60s he was slow, not the, not the very best of men, but uh, given a lifetime to various farmers. Mm. And I said, oh, yes, I'm sure he will. Go up and knock on the back door and he'll let you in. So he stayed with us here for about six weeks and... Uh, he got his food and he potted round and in the end he did get a job but he went on but that was the sort of uh, mm. position that so many people were in mm. and even the, the married farm workers weren't a big lot better off they were generally fixed up before Holland Town because they had to have a house but then you see they had to take a job where there was a house not every farm had a house so often enough it was a case of taking a job because there was a home for themselves and often big families in those days and that's the that's the way they had to to always uh, take a job even if it wasn't the best one that was available i remember meeting a, a chap there in douglas who he went on to drive a baker's cart for the most of his life and he used to come up here delivering bread and he said farming he said i loved it he said I did one year out in St. John's, John, not far from you. He said, I did one year of it, he said, out there, he said. And I loved every minute except for one thing. What was that? Spuds and herring, breakfast, dinner and tea. (laughs) I stuck me year, he said, because I'd taken me shilling. I stuck the year, but at the end of that time, I moved back into Douglas and I never worked on a farm since. (laughs) Now, when when a farmer came to the end of his farming career and he was retiring, he would have a farm sale. And we've had one or two farm sales this year, but nothing like the crop of sales that there used to be. Even in my younger days, uh, we, we would see maybe 12, 14, 16 sales yes. at Hollandide. What what memories do you have of, of notable farm sales, perhaps, that maybe you remember or that you attended or the characters that attended those sales? Well, uh, of course, nowadays we, we drive there in our cars. You just go there and park, and then when you've finished your business, you can go off home, and it's, it's so easy. But I remember from here, just in the years after the war, when petrol was still scarce and uh, there weren't many vehicles of any sort, I remember going to a farm sale uh, at the Barony at Mackled and walking to uh, a halfway house to get the electric tram taking the electric tram to Bella Jora and uh, walking out to the farm sale from there. 
"'Cause it was a day out for us then. "'The day was our own. We, "'That was we'd taken it off as, as a day off. Well, "'I wasn't buying anything, wasn't it? "'But I wanted to see the place and, and see the farm "'and see, see the life of the day.' You could come home when you were ready. You didn't have any work to do. But nowadays, it's also changed that uh, if you do go to a farm sale, you're there for a couple of hours, three hours, and then you've got ho- got to come home to do the fixing up and, and the work at night. So times have changed a lot in that respect. But you do describe it so aptly, Harvey, that that's exactly what it was. It was a, it was a day out, wasn't it? It was yes. a social event. Yeah. You went to see the farm, to meet the people who were there, and to discuss the farming topics that that's related right. to everybody there. And, yeah. That was the great thing mm, about it. Yeah, and we used to get a cup of uh, smoked coffee. <laughs> they had boilers, you see. It was old Jimmy from uh, Crystals, and he used to, he used to go down collecting wood to stoke up the the fire. And he got this fire going, and he had a big pot or something on it, and he made this coffee, and it was terrible stuff. But he <laughs> was a long way from home, and. Uh, uh, nowadays, as I say, you're not nobody's more than half an hour ho- away from home, so they can go home for a meal. But in those days it was a full day, so with that and two buns unbuttered, well, no, it would be fresh enough. But uh, my goodness, you you devoured them because you were hungry. You really did. <laughs> I can't help but laugh, have because I'm remembering the same man on the same occasion, and you would look to see where the thawk and the smoke was going up, <laughs> so that you would know where the coffee was. And yes. I rem- <laughs> One of the most respected personalities in farming in my time, Fred and Turner Crystal yes. they were great men in the agricultural scene yes. weren't they and yeah. they, I suppose it was fair to say that there were other auctioneers indeed but mm. Fred and Turner Crystal would probably conduct the, the majority of the farm sales Oh, yes, yes. And you talk about the, the big sales, but there, there were smaller sales too. Because mm. I remember a neighbour of ours, he was William Kermode, who farmed at Belig, a little 60-acre farm over here. He was a tenant farmer. The day came when he decided to give up farming. The farm was sold, but he didn't want it, the son didn't want it. And it was about this time of the year, Holmtide, and it was a dreadful morning. I'd been helping him. I'd been sorting the sheep and the cattle, and I went over to help. And about quarter to 11, and the sale was due to start at 11, there was hardly a soul in the place. And I said to Fred Crystal, I feel sorry for, for Willie Kermode. He's come now to the end of his days. It's the last thing, uh, last sale he'll have, uh, the, the last money he'll ever have in. And I said, there's very few people. Looks as though you're going to have a poor sale. And uh, Fred Crystal said to me, don't worry, it only takes two men to put a price up. And by 11 o'clock, I suppose there were a couple of hundred people there, and he had a very good sale. But what I was going to say, it was 1961, I remember the year well. And uh, he stayed on the farm for a bit because the chap that bought it didn't want to move in for the time. And he stayed in for a little while. And uh, Willie Kermode one day came over the field. There's a track, it's the next farm to here. So he came over the field and he was waving this thing in his hand and he said, look at that. He said, £2,000, he said, £2,000. And that was for all his stock and his implements. But it was wonderful in those days, 1961. He said, I'm never going to work again. He said, you're fools, he said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he went into Douglas. He'd been left a house by an aunt, so he had somewhere to live. And he went in and it was just at the start of inflation because the very next winter he was up here looking for a job thinning turnips. He said, you can't live. He said, I can't live on what I've got. (laughs) 
two great countrymen in conversation, Harvey Briggs and John Kenyuk. And making ends meet in hard times is by no means limited to farm workers. John Kenyuk discovered that when talking with Callan Hudson from Dorby about his dad, a very gifted man whose eyesight problems caused him to change his career. Yes, uh, well, Dad, he was born in Dolby, spent his, his uh, young days at school in Dolby. Then he went to uh, Douglas High School and uh, then after that on to Manchester University and uh, became a chemist, BSc. Then his eyesight started to fail and uh, he came back to Dolby again and uh, farmed at uh, Balakallan Farm at the top of the Nyarbal Road. I, I remember him because he was the man appointed to uh, issue licences, dog licences and cart licences we used to have in those days, ration books. Do you remember him doing that? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, there was no such thing as dole in those days. The Anybody who uh, was out of work was on the parish, they called it. Mm. And... Believe it or not, uh, men used to walk from higher Foxdale out to Dolby to collect their money uh, off the parish. Because that was all in the parish of Patrick, wasn't it? Yes, yes, all in the parish of Patrick. And uh, then after, after, uh, I think I was five, when uh, we got the Balakallan Hotel and we moved up there then. And you lived in the Balakallan Hotel? Yes, yes. No electric, no men's water. Uh, How did you manage? Oh, they did the well. It was all right until there was a, a drought, a very dry summer, like we used to get in those days. <laughs> right. It seemed to be. So you were taking visitors? Up to 30. You're a great man for yarns, Callan, and, and <laughs> you, you, you've come now to Peel to live, um, and you, you did you did some work in Peel. I know you told mm. me one particular yarn. You you, you were a builder <clears throat> with uh, with Johnny Lease, was that? Was it? No. Oh, who were you with? Ernie, Ernie Gregor. Oh, Ernie Gregor. Yes, right. Yes. Tell me about the job you went to do in one of the in one of the peel houses where you were uh, yourself and and your mate had to put a, a chimney pot on on a very tall chimney stack. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we just had to do this house to put a new chimney pot on. It's an old stone built house, and the the uh, the chimney flew the inside instead of being like now about nine inches square was well over a foot square mm. stone built quite big and the bottom of the of the base of this chimney pot would be somewhere about 10 11 inches which was not big enough to sit on the stonework so uh, we had to put slates across corners or pieces of metal I forget now which we used I think it was slates so that this could sit on there, and these these pots are quite heavy. They are, and, and they're, they're much bigger than you they're ever suspect, than, aren't they? Than you think, yes. Now the fellow I was helping or with was a year older than me, so he was boss. Right, right. And we had a ladder from the street, a thirty foot ladder up to the thirty roof. feet. Yeah, with a chimney a pot ladder. Yeah, and then another ladder up the roof. And another little ladder from the ridge of the roof up to the stack. Kenny was carrying the pot. See, he was older, so he he was in charge. I followed him up and then steadied him while he got on the roof. And he went up the ladder on the roof. And when we got to the ridge, I sat on the ridge to steady the little ladder up to the stack. So Kenny carries this 
Hold up. And now he's trying to land it. And the slates kicked and the pot went straight down the flue. <laughs> <laughs> and stuck stuck halfway down. What did you do then? We went and got another pot. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as I know, that pot is still there. <laughs> still stuck in the flue. <laughs> well, there's no way we could have got that out. <laughs> and chimneys are the link between Callan Hudson and another native of Peel, Eddie Lease. Hard times came to the Lease family too, but that just drove Eddie's dad, Tommy, to learn a new skill. Towards the end of the 1920s, there was a bit of a depression on the island, you know, mm. and people went away and so on. And my father was one of those who didn't have a job and... He he was a lively man. He did a lot of, of woodwork and so on. He didn't like being idle. He was always busy. And he saw in a magazine an advert for sweeping brush and sticks. So he rode off to this place and back came this bundle, a couple of sweeping brushes and, I don't know, dozen sticks, 20 sticks. So he started out on a sweeping chimney business. Oh, did he? Yes, he started sweeping chimneys. Half a crown, I think, he charged. But a bottle of Guinness would do him. (laughs) 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 But uh, he was very good. Old age pensioners, he didn't for nothing and Uh so on. But after he'd been at this for a little while, he made a good name for himself. Even when he started work, he used to tie these old brushes to his bicycle at dinner time, and he'd he'd go off and sweep somebody's chimney at dinner time. He coined the phrase, avoid the police and get Tommy Lease, (laughs) you see. So when I went to school, of course, that's when I had this shouted after me, avoid the police and get Tommy Lease, (laughs) in order to get me to chase them. (laughs) <laughs> oh, so some of the people in Peel would, re- would remember that eye. That was a good one, that. Yes. And that's almost all we have time for, but I think the conclusion of John Kenyuk's conversation with Harvey Briggs says much about the importance of listening to stories from the past. It is marvellous to reminisce. Some people criticise us for looking backwards, but really, if we look back, it teaches us who we are and how we became what we are, and history is very, very valuable. And for now, this is John Kenyuk signing off. And so we close the door on this series of The Archive Room. If you've missed any episodes, you'll find them all as podcasts at manxradio.com or via your usual podcast provider. And there's just one thing left to do, and it's to deal with that mystery voice. Look after yourselves and goodbye, bye, 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 bye. Congratulations if you recognised John Grierson, one of the founders of Manx Radio and our first station manager. And as we celebrate our 60th anniversary next summer, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more of Mr Grierson from the archives. Back in the present day, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and wishing you a very good evening. Mm